Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and on tonight's show, my charts guy, Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities, has a look at five stocks I'm interested in. One is Newix, which really has been in the news lately, Megaport, Avita Medical, Treasury One Estates, and the one he likes, Aristocrat Leisure. Which ones are really a buy now, or maybe a buy later, or possibly a sell? Then Paul Rickard assesses Zero and EML Payments, which has been a star performer for my Zeke group of stocks, uh, but recently it's copped some bad news from its OS operation, and the market really clobbered it. Uh, a couple of days ago, and now it's rebounded a little bit, but it's still got a big question mark hanging over it. If the news around email payments is excessively and inaccurately negative, it could be a buying opportunity, or maybe not. We'll, we'll talk to Paul about that. And then we learn how you can borrow to buy shares with Lily Elliott, who's the head of Leveraged at Bendigo Adelaide Bank. It is a risky activity, but you can do it with a bit of safety built in. Lily tells us how you can do that. And then Coolabar Capital's Ying Yi and Cheng will talk about where she thinks interest rates are going. Could we be in for a shock rise in interest rates? That's the show, so let's kick off with Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. Well, there's a bit of volatility on the stock market nowadays and uh, tech stocks are the ones copying it the most as the markets seem to be rotating into value stocks or stocks that are going to do well with the reopening of um, the economies around the world. And I've got uh, Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities to look at some stocks are in the news, and Newix is one that has particularly been in the news. Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Peter. So what's your, what's your take on Newix? I know it's early days. I probably would have rather waited four or five weeks, but by then mm. it might have taken off. Uh, what are you seeing at the moment on the chart? Look, the chart is still pretty negative, as, as we can imagine. It's, mm. um, it's been on a bit of a slide. I mean, we looked at it in March. It looked a bit, um, bit negative. It's still looking a bit negative. Of course, it's a new listing, so... Um, we don't have a lot to go off. No. So what I've, what I've found is, I, as you can see on this chart um, here on the screen, I've, um, I've pulled up the 20-day moving average. So sometimes it's, it's interesting to have a look at different moving averages and how stocks, every stock has its own sort of personality and, mm. and how it likes to trade along these, these moving averages. And if we try the 20-day moving average, we could see that um, it seems to respect it quite well. So by that, I mean, if we look at the top left, Initially, when we, we had at least 20 days worth of trading, um, it tended to sit on top of it quite nicely. Mm. But ever since it fell in early February, um, it's been hugging the underneath of that 20-day mm. moving which is average. A, which is a good sign. Not when for now. A, yeah, yeah. When it's above, it's like the market's really in love with this, this uh, yeah, stock. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, yeah, something like a 20-day moving average is, I guess, a fairly short-term Thing. We can move to obviously 50s, 100s, 200s. This isn't. Even this hasn't been around. Yeah. This hasn't been around long enough for yeah. that. But um, at the moment, I think if you're an investor looking to pick this one up when it's back up and you don't have very good charting skills, I'd just pull up a 20-day moving average. It seems to respect it quite well. Yeah, when you say respect it, it, to me it's underneath it, but you're yeah. saying it's close to its 20-day? They're, they're sort of dancing together. It's, yeah. You know, one's on top. Uh, yeah. they're, they're sort of staying alongside yeah, okay. each other. Right. So. Um, and of course, right in the middle, there was, there was quite a big departure, wasn't there, around yep. March? Yep. But since then, you're saying it's, it's come respect. back to it. It's okay. respecting okay. it. Okay, good. Uh, so I'd wait for it to get above that that line, 
yeah. maybe give it a few days to see that it's holding on. Um, and then that would be, uh, I guess, an early, indication, yeah, an early indication that it's, yeah. it's actually heading higher again. Because it seems to me this is a company that has a future, but um, overhyped. CEO didn't mm. impress at the Macquarie presentation. Uh, bad report first up, never a good sign. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of rules of thumb that would go against this and the market would, would sell off. But it seems to me what it does has potential, and so mm. I'm interested to get, get a good you know, opportunity to buy. Yeah, it's just a just a case of waiting for everyone else to give up on it, forget about it, and move on to something else, yeah. and then it'll probably bottom then. Okay, let's go to MP1, and the history for me was I didn't know much about it until I interviewed uh, Bevan Slattery, who's the founder of it, and it just seemed to me this was another company that's in the space of where companies mm. will want to be in the future, um, and it's you know basically since March. You know, things have been on the improve. It's come off the boil. I, I, I've kind of suspected, because most tech stocks have been given a bit of a clobbering lately. Yeah. But what, what are you seeing here, Matt? Um, this, is, this is looking good. So just to recap for other viewers, um, you know, we've looked at this a couple of times together. Um, it has looked negative. And then um, when we spoke, I think it was a few weeks ago, um, I pointed out that um, by rallying strongly and going above the February peak, that was the first sign of the downtrend breaking. So the horizontal blue line there right. is at the February peak and we can see that it's managed to get through it. Um, I mentioned at the time um, when we spoke a few weeks ago that, look, it had run pretty hard. Yeah. So therefore it's likely to come back, wait for it to settle down and that will be your buy point. So yeah. it looks like the share market's listened to me on this one, Pete. Oh, of course it's, That's it's the only reason back. you're on the show, Michael. <laughs> because as you could see in early May, it did come back. Yeah. The last couple of weeks, it has settled down nicely above $13. Um, now this chart, I produced this before today's trade, but, mm. but coming in to speak with you, Peter, I noticed that it's up quite nicely mm. um, in such a way that I'd say it's a buy signal today. So okay. the way that it's turned around today yeah. is telling me that it's ready to get going again. Yeah. Look, if it, if it can't get through that sort of blue line again, mm. or even let's just call it 1450, mm. um, if, it, if it hits that, and, and then really struggles, I'd, I'd be concerned. But from what I'm seeing today, Peter, it looks like a buying option. Okay, right, yeah. And by the way, remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is no advice. This is our best shot at trying to guess the future. And when it comes to stocks, guessing the future can be a bit tricky. Let's go to our next one. And this is a, a Vita uh, Medical. Uh, and I should explain to people out there, this is a company that was initially formed by Dr. Fiona Woods, the... Um, Australian of the Year, the lady who created the plastic spray on skin that helped the Bali bombing victims and a lot of other burns victims. And it then became a listed company. Uh, it's also listed on the NASDAQ as well. And, I'm, and I've just noticed that in its uh, American uh, situation, it seems to be a lot more positivity than what we're seeing here. And I just wanted uh, Michael to tell us what he's seeing on the local side of this. Yeah, yeah look, at the moment, unfortunately, with the with the Aussie shares, they're, they're looking as though they want to head lower. So mm. it'd be mm. interesting to see which, which market is correct in, yeah. um, in their assessment of um, AVH. So um, we could see that clearly over the last few months, the shares have, have come back to that December low. Um, but instead of coming close to that December low and bottoming out um, and having volume get pulled out of the stock, mm. uh, it's it's done the opposite. So if it had if it had bottomed out there with with low volume, that would that would mean it's close to perhaps rallying again. But yeah. what we have here in the last couple of days, it's fallen quite dramatically 
down towards 450. So this is after they had their quarterly. So from 550 to 450. Yeah, yeah. In, in a very quick period of time. So, and this was on the back of that that quarterly update. Mm. So the market got the update, shares were up, all's okay. Mm. But two days later, it looks like someone's looked at the numbers and doesn't seem too happy with it. So, um, so it's gone all the way back to 450. Mm. What I've circled here is the dramatic fall. Um, in the share price, and then along the bottom, that oh, so um, that, that little circle is an actual. It hasn't, that's that's one day. One day. That's yeah. one one day, and then the bottom of this and the, chart, the length of those little candles also give you an idea of the the volume as well. So the the volumes at the bottom, so yeah. that the the oh, bars yeah. along the bottom is volume, but but the length of the candles tells you the size of the trading range. Okay. So in a nice yep. a nice happy market, um, mm. nothing to worry about. Yep. The trading ranges are usually pretty small. They just yeah, slowly it's head up. It's a small, good small trading yeah, range. But then when you suddenly get these big moves, yeah, it's, okay. it's increased volatility. It's right. a sign that not all is well. Mm. Um, and in this case, what I'm showing with the, the bit circled at the bottom is the spike in volume. So we could see that volume was, apart from the odd spike, mm. generally pretty low as, yeah. as the shares were coming down. Well, on this particular day. But instead of staying like that, they really spiked up, which tells us there are a lot of investors heading for the exit, rightly or wrongly, that's what they're doing. Um, and even today, again, we don't have today's price action on this chart, but mm. it looks pretty lacklustre today when the market's up quite nicely. Okay. So I think for this the moment, we're gonna see a bit of- Keep your powder dry on a yeah. medical until we get some other information. Uh, let's go to um, another one, and this is Treasury Wine Estates, and we know mm. that the, the Beijing bully boys are picking on uh, Treasury Wine Estates with their tariffs and whatever. Um, and of course, a bit like A2 Milk, it's a potential takeover target, mm. you know, because the, the value of the company has been made cheaper to buy. Uh, I'm just intrigued to see what the market's doing at this point in time. So yep. what are we seeing, Mike? Look, there's, for this, there's, I guess, a long-term and a short-term perspective on, on, on the chart. So yep. longer term, we can't see it here, but this stock was trading closer to $20 yeah. a few years ago. Um, so it's, it's copped a bit of a hiding over the last few years. Mm. Um, but even with this daily chart, which, which goes back about one year, we can see that it's been very volatile. We're talking about lows near $8, highs near $13. Um, for those who could see the, the candles on, on their screen, mm. very large trading ranges. So you know, if you if you sort of got got in perfectly at uh, at the start of a move, you've done well. But if you've just missed out by getting you know being one or two days too late, mm. um, you might have copped a, a bit of a hit as well. So and I'm trying to work out, Michael, looking at this chart, looking at the long red candles. Was it August or was it December that China decided to, to whack tariffs on, on TWE? I think they've had a couple of yeah, cracks at it, haven't they? A couple they? of cracks yeah. at it. Each one of those long candles suggests that, but go on. Yeah. Um, so when I see a chart like this, I then like to wait for those days to settle down, wait for volume to ease out of it, hmm. um, and then it's just a case of waiting for uh, a bit more of a breakout in the right direction. So what I've indicated on the right-hand side with the blue lines is up until a few days ago, the range did start to tighten up. So even though the shares were drifting back again towards $10, the range was tightening, which was a positive. Um, and then as we could see when they gave that update to the market about a week ago, um, they've popped up. And what I've circled 
uh, at the bottom right. So again, I've put a, a volume mm. chart. Big volume in a positive. So that's that's all good. Yeah. So that's that's sort of textbook. So this might be promising for TWA. If we're just looking at the last yeah. at the last sort of few months, this all looks good. It looks like it's mm. found a low. It wants to rally. Volume's coming in, mm. all very well. But when again, when we look at this longer term sort of picture. Um, it's still, still very volatile. So I'd, I'd say this, this looks like a hold or a buy for those who are happy to wear a bit more risk, yeah. um, given all the, the problems that and are so happening. So in a perfect world, in three or four weeks' time, you can test out that really nice spike to see whether it's actually mm. being a sustainable spike or whether it's just a, a one-off. Yeah, look, I mean, it could it could just continue on upwards from here. But again, there's just that risk that it's a one-off. Again, looking back, at this chart over the last year, there's been a few one-offs, unfortunately. Imagine if um, President Xi said, look, we're sick and tired of picking on TWE. What would happen to that share price? Idle. $15, $16, yeah, I'd say. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next one, mate. Now, this is your favourite. This is Michael's uh, choice. I always say to him, give us the one that you like the most at the moment. Now, what I find interesting about Aristocrat Leisure is it's been doing really well, and mm. you, you seem to think it's going to keep on doing well. Yeah, I think so. So, look, I know my last few picks for you have been resources, so I thought yeah. I'd find something outside yeah, we'll that space. That. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, to be honest, I did mention this one back in February, yeah. so I know I'm rehashing an old idea, but yeah. um, look, as anyone could see, it's just going up. And oh, so you're, you're proving to everyone how smart you are. Yeah, so, yeah I was trying all, to sneak that one in. He's always doing business, this guy. Anyway, yeah. if, so, if he was crap, he wouldn't be here, but go on. No, look, I... Look, to be honest, I'm not just saying we bought this ages ago and it's no. doing well. No. Look at no. me. Um, we have been buying this one as recently as a few days ago. So yeah. Yeah. still buying Aristocrat. I still think it's got further to run. Charting-wise, when we looked in February, um, it was during that period where we could see on the chart we've got the diagonal lines. Mm. Um, so we're indicating that it was consolidating under the old high. So yeah. all the way at the left, we could see the, the February peak. Um, so that price action was telling me it was ready to to get going again, and we could see it's been trending nicely. Um, we had a, an update from the company earlier this week, uh, upgrade to guidance. So their results will be next Monday, but they upgraded guidance, basically um, so, surprised, surprised everyone yeah. at how well they're doing. Yeah. Um, and what we had was a gap to an all-time high. Now, I know people out there are scared to buy things at an all-time high, mm. but if you want to be invested in something that goes up, it's it's going to make highs. Yeah, that's if that's it, the nature of it. Yeah, if you had that philosophy, you would have missed out on a lot of Apple um, price rises. Yeah. And I'm sure if for any of our viewers watching, if they bought something in the last six months that's doing quite a bit of damage, chances are they bought something that was going that way hmm. instead of that way. So I know it sounds very simplistic, but hmm. just buy something that's heading that yeah. way. So, um, so Aristocrat, yes, it made an all-time high a few days ago, but the way it's held up the last, um, the way it's held up since then, since yeah. that announcement, um, it's yeah, you know, it's telling me it can continue to kick on. So it's not as though the market's come in and sold it all the way back down and said this is as good as it's going to get. Mm. It's held in there really well at these all-time highs. So uh, I think it'll just continue to trend and make new t new highs um, okay. as, as we go. So on. While, I was, while I was listening to you, man, I just thought to myself, what we should get you to do is just um, do a summary of the stocks you've selected this year. There's probably about five or six. Yep. And just make a promise to us that when you go off them, you let us know. So <laughs> my viewers know, how does that sound? Well, I, I, th I think off the top of my head, we've had um, iLuca, 
Um, that's down a bit today, but that's still that's well. is above from when we spoke about it. Western areas, BHP. Yeah. I think we've had we've had Fortescue, James Hardy. I, th I think, um, I think the common theme is yeah. they're going that way. That's right. Just make sure and, they're going and, in the right direction. And mind you, given my um, very vocal viewers, if you were crap, they'd tell you. That's <laughs> exactly. Michael Gable from yeah. Fairmont Equities. And that's Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. And now we're going to be talking to Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. Paul wrote a story today on Zero. Um, what do you think, Paul? What's going on there? I thought it was Monday, actually, Peter. But uh, look, I'll, <laughs> I'll take today. But look, um, I'm looking like a hero because uh, I wrote a story saying that I think Zero should be part of your core portfolio. It, that was where it closed at last Friday at $112. Had a good rally the last few days. Mm. Uh, but I still think there's a bit of value there, Peter. It's not a stock that you need to... Um, it's going to really tear off, but it's just a good, solid. I think one of probably Australia's best. Um, All right. So when you wrote the story, it was around 111. And yeah. You thought it was a buying opportunity. It's now 123. Okay. You're a genius. Uh, not, but nice for you to say so. <laughs> but to my way of thinking, zero reminds me like the Apples and the Microsofts and Amazons. They are the sort of the, the more blue chippy type tech stocks, where other ones can jump around like nobody's business. And we'll talk about EML in a moment as well. Yeah. I mean, the scenario for for you know, established tech companies have got a genuine growth, good business, strong cash flow, and a sticky product, yeah. which is what your Microsofts or your Apples, or for that matter, a zero yeah, has. because a small right? business person who got zero yeah. sticks with zero. In the same way, once you get onto an Apple phone, you don't change, right? It's no. too hard. You buy the next model, right? And you buy other things around the yep, app, yep, right? Yep, yep. Same with the sort of accounting software. It's exactly sort of the same. So, I, I look, I think it's of Australia's tech companies, Peter, uh, I think it's probably the best. Yep. That's the ones of the listed ones. So Lattice is in a different category, obviously. Mm. But uh, so I think when the market really wants to sell it, that's the chance you buy. buy. And, uh, buy the dip on zero. And really, last week's sell-off when they reported their um, full-year profit results, on the 31st of March. There's actually a pretty good report. Some of the analysts didn't like it because their uh, EBITDA was a bit less than they were talking about, and that's because they were reinvesting in the business. So okay. I don't think that was the way to look at it. So I, I thought it was pretty positive. Okay, so that's zero. Let's go to email payments. Now, email has been in my Zeke groups. It's been one of my best performers. And a bit of shock news coming out from, what, the Bank of Ireland, uh, Central Bank of Ireland? Yeah, I mean, the Central Bank of Ireland, about 30% of their payments revenue is now directed out of, the, uh, out of Ireland. The reason it's out of Ireland is that I think sometime late, late last year, because of Brexit, they sort of moved their European business uh, out, of, out of the UK yeah. into Ireland because of the, uh, yeah. the, the, the arrangements around yeah. uh, the end of... And of course, Ireland will, will remain in the EU. Where Ireland, okay. Ireland remaining in the EU. And of course, now, the, uh, a few months later, the Central Bank in Ireland has come back and said, look, we, re we think there's some AML breaches and we're going to... Uh, use AML breaches for normal people? Well, anti-money laundering, okay, right? Yes. In other words, that there's um, zero, sorry, not zero, uh, EML is doing something through its payment systems. In other words, not enough to identify that there's money being used for the, for the wrong purpose yeah, or okay, criminals yeah. are transferring money or mm, mm. whatever it is and uh, has implied that they're going to take some sanctions under the, uh, under the Banking Act in Ireland. If they're right. If they're right. So, but I think, it, I think what EML said yesterday, Peter, they sort of admit there's a problem. Mm. Um, they just don't know the extent of it. Mm. And the problem for shareholders, Peter, is that there hasn't, apart from that statement from EML yesterday, there hasn't been a lot of clarity. And what tends to happen with these things is when you have regulatory breaches, and that's, we're assuming this is what it turns out to be, Peter, mm. it may be that uh, they're able to recover from this. It means that the regulators in the other jurisdictions they operate start 
suddenly start taking a much closer look. Yeah. Uh, and you saw the damage that the AML stuff did to CBA, it did to Westpac, you know, and I guess this is this is a third uh, third company. Mm. Now, the, the problem for a company like AML, which is a growth story, doesn't have a lot of earnings, and so, you know, a fine or sanctions could actually hurt it. Maybe the market overreacted mm. yesterday, was off uh, 46%, Balanced a fraction a day, but the problem is you don't actually know That's right. um, whether there's the end of it. So the question for EML holders is what's the catalyst to re-rate the stock? And I suspect we're now in for a period of several weeks, maybe longer, of uncertainty about the company. Yeah, until we find out there is bad news or good news, and that's going to be critically important. But I, Paul, from my point of view, this is emphasizes why I always say to investors, you can't be overexposed to any one stock. You know, that's why. When I picked up the Zeet, I had put four of them yep. in. Um, two of them, EML and Zip, did fantastically well. Uh, ELO um, struggled. Tyro was hit by a hedge fund, um, a, a bad and false hedge fund report. It's now starting to come back. But about two or three weeks ago, I said, if you want to create your own tech fund, take Wax, add Zeet, and throw Megaport and XDC in. And that's a great collection of Australian tech companies. And I think over time, there's so many good businesses in there. When this bad news comes along, the others will offset the bad news. It'd be interesting to see how that, that little yeah, tech stock goes. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Peter. You, you can't, the only way to protect against single event risk, and that can include things like a regulatory breach mm. or a CEO doing a dumb thing or you know having an affair or whatever it or is. Or a you treasurer know? coming out with yep. a, a bad policy. Yep. Changing government policy is, uh, is, you, is you have to diversify, otherwise you just can't guard against it. And that's why we talk about it. And emails are probably a good example of that because you know, a week ago, everything was going honky-dory. Yeah. You know, this stock was, was sailing, done an acquisition that the market had sort of given pretty high ticks to. Yeah. Suddenly, something's happened, come out of total left field, mm. and the share price died 46%. I don't think it's, I'm not jumping in, but I, I don't think it's going to be quick to recover mm. until we know more yeah. about the extent of it and whether there's any follow-on action uh, from, from the other regulators it deals with. Yeah, I must try and get Tom Craig and the CEO on the program as soon as possible. Thanks, Paul, for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Well, a lot of people say to me that they've uh, got some great ideas to invest in the market, but often they haven't put enough money onto that great idea. Well, this segment here will probably show you another way of doing it. It's a little bit more risky than just putting your own hard-earned money into the investment. Uh, but I'm joined by Lily Elliott, who's Head of Leverage at Bendigo Adelaide Bank. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. Right, now, a lot of people would be wondering, your Head of Leverage, what's leverage? So, leveraged is a margin lender. Hmm. We lend um, money against uh, the purchase of shares, managed funds, ETFs and so on. Okay, some people we are asking, I always ask questions, I think people are, what, what is margin lending? So, it, it, it's a loan uh, that allows you up to 75% uh, to lend against um, shares. Most of them uh, are blue chip shares hmm. and um, uh, equity that we evaluate um, to be stronger performers in the market. So there's like a stable of stocks that you're happy for people to get a loan against? That's correct. Okay. You've been doing this for 30 years now, Bendigo and Low Bank. Was it an unusual thing to do in, back in those days for a bank that's always been, been perceived as a community bank? So first and foremost, um, Leveraged was actually owned by Ord Minette, mm. who was a stockbroker. Yeah. 
Um, Adelaide Bank purchased that in early 2000. Um, kind of fitted in with that third party model and it diversified the bank away from yeah. um, where it was with just the mortgages and deposits. Mm. So that was the strategy then. Um, the margin lending business has operated quite strongly over the last um, two decades mm. under the bank um, and continues to provide that um, diversity. In okay. Now we know there's a whole lot of young people out there who being Australians are addicted to a thing called property, but with term deposits so low, uh, it's really hard for them to build that deposit up. Are a lot of investors now using this kind of investing with interest rates so low uh, more than ever before? Yeah, we're seeing an increase um, coming in definitely. And we've seen that through our trading platform as well. Hmm. So um, in terms of the next generation between 18 and 35s, we've seen an increase in, uh, from last year, 30% um, increase in, in applying for margin loans. And whilst they only make 5% of our total customers, we are seeing that trend coming through. Okay. Now I've got a question here. And most people know I never ask the questions that people ask me. I just say I'm going to ask this question to get you in. Mm -hmm. But this is an interesting one. In corporate tax planning with good debt tax deductions, what are you trying to say there? So it's really around, and, and again, uh, we're not advisors. Most of, of our customers not. are advised. Yeah. Um, and so we don't but there is an opportunity there and it may may work for you mm. um, and um, negative gearing is one of those things right? okay so this in corporate tax planning is just basically negative gearing could be tax effective for you That's correct. not for everyone but it could work so probably would be good for those people that are wondering what are we talking about and mm -hmm. there are normal people out here who watch the show and want to get rich at the same mm -hmm. time why don't you explain how it works this idea of a margin loan being tax effective and whatever. Okay, give me an example. So it, it's very much like an investment property. So uh, you are borrowing money uh, for that investment. You may be in between that time earning an income. Mm. Um, and the same goes with shares. So you've got uh, the dividends, which is um, a frank dividend as mm. well. So that's another effective way. Like the rent. That's correct. Um, another effective way of um, looking at um, the strategy uh, for your for your trading. So. Now, what all of this used to be a bit scary for some people because mm -hmm. they, I remember in the eighties they were, might have gone into this with interest rates at seven or eight percent. Yes, they were paying seven or eight percent, and all of a sudden it went to seventeen percent. Mm -hmm. With this real historically low interest rates, are people starting to think maybe I might have a crack at this? Yeah, we're seeing a lot more interest um, in margin lending now than yeah. uh, what we have even a couple of years ago. Mm. So yeah, in, interest rates have uh, a, a quite a, a large reason for that, um, including the fact that the equity markets are performing so well oh. and are anticipated to continue to do so for, mm. for the next 12 months. So there is an opportunity there. Is there also a lot more enthusiasm because the central bank inexplicably and historically significantly are actually telling us they're not going to raise interest rates for a long time? Well, that, that, that is one of the factors, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and, and part of um, the evaluation that an investor makes before they decide that they want to take up gearing. Okay, Let's, that's the great stuff. And, mm -hmm. and what are the interest rates approximately for, for these loans now? It all depends on the value of your loan. Mm -hmm. um, so they can range anywhere between 6% down to 2%. Yeah, so, all right, okay. Now, let's talk about the scary bit. When can a, a, a margin loan become a bit scary? 
Um, well, one of one of the reasons, one of the the times is obviously when the market is starting to fall, um, and we're seeing that plummet. The other is when an individual does gear themselves um, to to the full extent. So that's something that um, we've seen less of mm. now. Um, and it has shown through, uh, particularly through the times where the market does become volatile in a mm. negative kind of way. Mm. So, um, and the other is obviously when you're not planning for a soft landing, anyone that is going to take up margin lending needs to think out carefully exactly how they'll manage that and what will their response be to a margin call. Yeah. Now, a margin call is not, shouldn't be a scary thing because you're just topping up your loan yeah. and you're making sure that you're remaining below the lendable value. Um, but uh, those are all of the things that investors need to consider before yeah. entering. I think a lot of people don't understand the idea that when a, a, a market falls and the BHP share price falls, why they have to put more money in. So this typically occurs when the value of your shares fall below the lending value. Mm. So that's when we will call on you mm. to make an additional payment. Mm. You've, got a, you've got a choice there whether you, you decide that you want to add or top it up mm. or whether you want to share a portion of your share, mm. sell a portion of your shares. Yeah. So um, you can always sell paper shares as well. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. So there's a number of way, ways that you can meet that including lodging more security um, if you do have that. Yeah, and I think in many ways, a lot of people, if they don't, if they give themselves a buffer, so the market can fall maybe 10 or 15 percent, and there's mm -hmm. nothing's going to happen. That's probably the safest way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's what we're seeing. That's the kind of behaviour that we're seeing mm. in our portfolio, um, and most of our clients are advised. Uh, the advice that they are receiving is to remain within a acceptable uh, gearing uh, limit, mm. but also most importantly is diversification. Mm. So if you're going to be single stock exposed to, to a share mm. that has a bad day in the market, then, then the chances are that you will be called. Okay, and in the new world there are things called exchange traded funds. That's correct. Are a lot of people using these loans to get, for example, ASX 200 exposure? Uh, absolutely, and um, more so in, in that area. but. Interestingly enough, we have seen growth in lending against ETFs. Mm. So uh, compared to last year, we're up from 40%. Mm, okay. Is there anything else you think someone should know who's never done this before? Margin lending? Yeah. Good planning. Um, if you don't understand it, get advice. Uh, and also, again, uh, I think I mentioned that earlier, I think through the scenarios and what would happen. If, if you uh, are margin called and how you would respond to that. Mm. The interesting thing, uh, Lily, is that the best time to do this was about March 24 when the market was right at the bottom because then you've got fantastic leverage. Okay, so as the market is closer and closer to the top, that's when it can become more risky. Yeah, um, well, and again, it's, it's about how you manage your, um, your ratios. Mm. Um, and how well you're diversified and, and again even um, the growth that we've seen um, over the last 12 months uh, on an average a client portfolio has increased by 40% mm. but we're still seeing gearing ratios at the same level yeah. which, is a, a, which shows us that customers are thinking forward, mm. they're not thinking about um, completely gearing themselves and it's a part of their trading strategy as opposed to all of it. Great stuff, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having That's me. That's Lee Elliott from Benigo Adelaide Bank.
Well, inflation spiked in the US late last week and people are worried about inflation causing higher interest rates. And our interest rate expert is Ying Yi and Cheng from Coolabar Capital and Coolabar manages my Switzer Higher Yield Fund. Uh, Ying Yi, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. So were you guys surprised at the magnitude of that inflation spike in the US? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, we, we should clarify what inflation number it is, um, and that was US core CPI. Um, however, we need to remember what matters to the US Federal Reserve is actually PCE. Um, if we look at the components of that US um, core CPI number, it was quite significant. In fact, it was the largest single uh, increase, monthly increase that we've seen since 1981. So that definitely got the market quite riled up. Um, it was very unusual. However, the, the point to note here is that you had very clear pandemic effects. If you look at the contributors to that bump up in inflation, it was actually used cars. So used car prices went up 10%. Um, and that's the highest it's been in measured history. Why? because people didn't want to take public transport. Therefore, they went out to buy used cars. Yeah. Um, and so that actually contributed to the 0.35% of the 0.9% increase. Um, and then if you look at other things, uh, it was related to chip availability, oh, excuse me, chip availability for new cars. So obviously there's a global chip shortage, which we're well aware of. In addition to that, you're also seeing reversals of items that collapsed during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, it's a reflection of the economy reopening. So namely airfares and hotels. Yeah. Um, and so the Fed's message has been really to look through this sort of inflation. Obviously, we're going to see base effects or things rebasing. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, the number that really matters is the PCE, which will be out at the end of May. Right. And for normal people, Ying Yi, what is PCE? It stands for the personal consumption expenditures uh, and it's the primary inflation index that the US Federal Reserve uh, uses when they're making their monetary policy decisions. Okay. And so we, we, we know that the central bank was expecting a spike in the number and it was bigger than expected. So are you guys saying to you, or hang on, the, probably the better question is, how did the, the bond market respond to this? Because in, in recent times we've seen the bond market sort of heralding maybe, maybe higher interest rates and the stock market hasn't liked it. What did the bond market do when they saw this number? Yeah, we did see yields move up. So uh, fixed rate bond prices actually sold off in response to that. Um, if anything, you know, over the last couple of months, uh, markets had sort of stabilised. So that fixed rate bond market had really sort of stabilised because obviously we saw February, which was a bit of a bloodbath. Um, and so really, yeah, this is a bit of a, a shake-up. Um, is it alarming to us? Not quite yet, um, because we still need to sort of see these sort of effects. Obviously, equities did sell off, but in terms of credit, credit markets themselves, um, there, there wasn't too much of a reaction. And by the way, in terms of the Switzer High Yield Fund and all of the cool of our strategies, we run at typically zero interest rate duration, which means they are 100% floating rate. They're not fixed rate. So as bond yields move higher, we actually benefit 
in our portfolios. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. Thanks for stealing my question. <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. So, looking at this, then, um, I, I clearly you, we're going to hope to see in the May figure, the June figure, and July figure that the, these sort of one-off effects, which come out of the coronavirus and the pandemic effects and the closures and the reopening of the economy, we, we, we want to see a downward trend in this number. Well, I mean, we can't take away from the fact that, um, you know, headline inflation is going to be higher. It's going to be the same case in Australia because you do have a lot of those um, pandemic sort of effects or as the economy reopens. But actually, the, the intention of the central banks is to create inflation, or at least in Australia, the intention is to create some sort of inflation. Um, and so the focus for the RBA, at least, is really very much around employment um, and getting wage inflation to create, you know, core inflation as well. Okay, so budget night, when you saw what the budget looked like, when you saw the kinds of spending there, what, what was the, the view from, from Coolabar around what this might mean for interest rates, for yields, and ultimately the fund that you guys manage? There's not, not many sort of huge implications uh, for, for rates uh, per se. Um, it's definitely not the same sort of, uh, you know, shock uh, and awe for, for bond markets as, you know, when people were looking at the US and Biden administration passing their trillion dollar mm. uh, stimulus package. Um, if anything, look, the starting point for the budget, um, the Commonwealth budget, I should say, was much better. Um, but we are going to see a big windfall for subsequent years. And it's very clear that the Morrison government is positioning for the election, yeah. uh, which could be as soon as August next year. So in terms of what we saw in the budget, we saw, you know, um, low income tax cuts for next year, small business tax rates for the couple of years, and also really, you know, putting out fires um, in certain areas or issues around aged care and women um, in, in terms of their spending. Mm. I, I, guess the, I guess the bottom line uh, question I need to ask you, um, you, know, you guys have had a view that you've actually agreed with the central bank that interest rates, you know, shouldn't go up until 2023, 2024. Has there been anything you've seen since the last time we've spoken that has changed the, the House view on that? No, not really. And if anything, we saw um, the RBA uh, Assistant uh, Governor DeBell uh, come out recently to reinforce that view. Um, so, you know, again, you know, people have been, for example, concerned about, you know, the impact on house prices. We're obviously seeing, you know, house prices increase and therefore, you know, should we really be keeping rates so low, et cetera. Um, but the view from the RBA or at least the RBA's message has been, you know, um, sure, we are getting an, an increase in house prices. However, at the same time, you know, should we be doing this at the expense, like should we, you know, be disallowing that at the expense of, you know, creating inequality caused by unemployment. Um, and so 
you know, they are happy to sort of look through that for now. Um, and really house prices don't really come into the RBA's remit anyway. Um, there's always macro prudential measures that could come from the APRA. Um, and so if we look at, you know, the RBA's objective, what they're focused on is more so unemployment, as mentioned. So getting that unemployment rate down um, and, yeah, therefore, you know, reducing inequality that way. Yeah, in many ways, what DeBell was saying was that house prices make people feel wealthier as well. They go out and spend, they, that creates jobs, and that actually yes. works to, to beat inequality better than just keeping house prices low so people can buy homes. It was a pretty great, yeah. pretty interesting argument. Uh, Ying Yi, great, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch up in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you, Peter.